AMU. American Military University is proud to present the following podcast. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Dr. Jared Sadowski. My guest today is CEO of Colby Foundation, Mr. Virgilio Murillo. Good morning, Mr. Murillo. How are you today? Hi, good morning, Jared. Uh, I'm doing great, thank God. Excellent. How are you? I'm doing great. Well, Mr. Murillo is uh, speaking with us today from the Belize Central Prison. He manages the prison and he's uh, a key stakeholder in the success of Belize Central Prison. And what we're going to talk about today is the impacts of COVID-19 in prisons. Begin by taking a look at what's going on around the world with um, with COVID-19 in prisons. And then we'll talk specifically about what's going on at Belize Central Prison. And it's important to note that currently Belize Central Prison has not had a, an active case of COVID-19. And we'll compare that and contrast that to some of the other prisons in the region. Before we begin, I'd like to, uh, to give a little background on the Colby Foundation and Belize Central Prison. This has been something that for the last couple of years that I as a researcher have been very interested in. I traveled to Belize for the last couple of years and spent time with Mr. Morello, and I've seen that the great work that's being accomplished through him and his staff at the prison. To give some background context, the Colby Foundation took over the prison in 2002 from the uh, Belize government because of the deplorable conditions that existed at that time. Back prior to the Colby Foundation, which is a nonprofit uh, Christian organization that manages the prison for the government, prior to their takeover and before August of 2002, the Belize Central Prison had 300 beds, housed 900 inmates, had roughly 50 escapes per year. After the takeover, which Mr. Morello has been with the Colby Foundation from the, the beginning, the prison has seen a dramatic increase in success in their rehabilitation as well as in their infrastructure and their security. The prison operates on, in U.S. terms, $7 per day per inmate. In comparison, the average cost per prisoner in the United States is $99, according to the Bureau of Prisons. So with a very limited budget, Mr. Morello has been able to reduce his recidivism rate between 10 and 14% each year for the last several years, which really is a leader throughout the world. Um, there's also been a 186% drop in escapes. So we come today to discuss COVID-19, but I also want to make sure everybody has a background on the success that's going on at uh, Belize Central Prison. So with that said, Mr. Murillo, could you provide us a brief background of, of, um, of your experience at the Belize Central Prison? Yes. Good morning once again, um, Jared, and thanks for having me on this podcast. Um, first of all, I before I go into saying anything about my background at the prison and experience at the prison, I want to, first of all, thank God for protecting this prison thus far. Like you rightly said earlier, as of this point, we have not had a single case of COVID-19 in the prison, which is a great blessing. As a matter of fact, I want to put it this way. We are one of the very few public service entities and the only department within the Ministry of National Security that remains COVID-free. And God deserves all the praise and glory for that. Um, going into my background, I will tell you that I was seconded to the prison on December 16, 2002 after the construction of the Southern Highway was completed because initially I worked uh, for Cisco Construction, which is an, uh, a company that builds highways. And um, they were given the contract to build the Southern Highway and I 
went there to manage their camps. John Woods, who who was the owner of Col- um, Cisco Construction, was also challenged in 2002 by the government to take over the management of the Belize Central Prison. And um, so he, after the, the construction finished, he asked me to come to the prison and I didn't hesitate. I didn't know what I was getting into, but I certainly am a person who liked challenges. So I took on the challenge and I came. So I have been CEO for the last six years and I have a total of 18 years prison experience. I served seven years as the deputy chief executive officer with emphasis on finance and administration. I do have extensive knowledge and skills in administrative and security work. So, and I've had an accumulative total of 27 years working in managerial capacities over the years. Excellent. Excellent. And I wanted to to emphasize, you'd mentioned that the Belize Central Prison does not have any active COVID cases. And I wanted to put that into comparison to the United States, for example, although the Belize Central Prison population is substantially less than the prison population in the United States. However, as of July 7th of 2020, there have been at least 57,019 prisoners in the United States that have tested positive, which was an increase of 9% from the previous week. And also, um, there's been uh, substantial uh, cases in California, Texas, and Arkansas. So I wanted to, to go ahead and add that as we look at issues around in different parts of the uh, the region in the Americas, it is really remarkable that the police central prison does not have any COVID cases. So I wanted to also ask Mr. Merlo, so can you provide us with a, a brief background on how COVID-19 has impacted the nation of police aside from the prison? Well, what I can tell you from what I have been observing and hearing is that it is certainly a new phenomenon which has no doubt created confusion and psychological stress, I guess, on the government and Belizeans as a whole. And this is simply because as the days go by, we keep getting new knowledge or new information about this virus. At one point, you will hear of of a certain number of symptoms. And before you know it, you might hear of a brand new symptom that seemed to be a telltale signs of covid so it's rather confusing, and I think it creates stress for the government authorities and Belizeans as a whole. Despite the deadliness of the virus, Belizeans continue to be reckless with COVID-19 protocols, such as social distance, hand hygiene, wearing a face mask, and all of that. The government has instituted a state of emergency uh, since April 1st, and you would think that people would be respectful of the state of emergency uh, regulation, and also the deadliness of the virus. However, that doesn't seem to be the situation. Um, The prison, since the state of emergency has been declared and the regulations have been put in place to mitigate the spread, would you believe that over 100 persons have been arrested for simple things like not wearing a mask, for simple things? Well, well, I'm I'm saying arrested, but I think I, I have the wrong word. They have been imprisoned for not having a mask, not practicing social distance, and those kinds of things. Could you imagine that, Um, being outside for a few hours and all of those things? Well, we certainly had a complete shutdown of the country at one point, and that definitely had a, a tremendous impact on the economy because literally everything came to a screeching halt. So no revenues were being made. People were not being employed. If my memory serves me well, 
I think the government had to make a decision to try and assist people financially and otherwise for job losses and not being able to provide food. So they gave out food hampers and financial assistance to at least 60,000 Belizean, lost their jobs and those kinds of things. I saw, I, I right about now, I, I see where crimes of dishonesty have increased in terms of all the burglaries and robberies taking place out in the societies. And a lot of them happen because people don't have employment and cannot get employment, at least over the last three months especially. And since August of 2020, the number of cases have skyrocketed and it continues to climb daily. As we speak today, we have 1,307 cases. I remember that at least a month or so ago, we were still hovering at 77 and we've literally jumped 1,200 since. We have had 16 deaths recorded as of last night. So and the shutdown of the transportation industry certainly affected the smooth and efficient operation of the different industries in the country. Um, of course, scarcity in COVID-19 supplies had an impact as well on the country. Right. And I wanted to point out to our audience that in Belize, there are uh, roughly 390,000 citizens. So for 60,000 citizens to be unemployed due to COVID, that's really substantial considering the total population is around 390,000. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it hurts us big time. What are uh, some of the initial steps that you took as the CEO to protect your staff and inmates from the virus uh, back in, in early March, maybe late February, late March, whenever this pandemic really was stepping up uh, worldwide? Well, one of the first things we did was um, we, you know, we were monitoring it from December 19 when it had just, when the news of the virus had just broken. And then, you know, some information from the World Health Organization was shared with us as prison. And we, my doctor and, and ourselves, the leadership of the prison began reading those information. And we had our first contingency planning meeting, I think sometime in March. And what we did back then, we commenced with a partial suspension of visits by loved ones. And they were only allowed to come and deposit cash into the, their loved one's personal account. We were very um, selective and, and cautious with allowing attorney visits. And we in installed things like um, wash hand basins, all these posters and other stuff to alert people and inform people of the COVID virus and what they can do to prevent it and mitigate the spreading of it in the prison. We went into a rigid implementation when that suspension of visits took place. We went through a rigid implementation of COVID-19 protocols such as hand hygiene, wearing of face masks, social distancing, disinfecting and sanitizing of frequently touched surfaces and highly trafficked buildings, as well as the prison officers' transport. We did temperature checks of every person before entering the prison. We also did the COVID-19 screening using that questionnaire, that standard questionnaire that asks you about where you've been and have you been in contact with anybody who is known to have had the virus, etc., etc. Any person, including staff, who displayed flu-like symptoms were not allowed to enter the prison, period. And all visits with attorney, attorneys were, they became non-contact. And we tried to minimize even those. We tried to encourage the attorneys that if they don't need to come to prison, then just don't come. Um, if they can do a paperwork and 
use the email system to scan it and send it. We get it signed and sent it back to them and those kinds of things. Then we go, we do that. Interesting. So with the COVID-19 pandemic, that obviously has created some challenges. But during that period of time, has the you had mentioned that there was a state of emergency, but has there been has there been a state of emergency that has involved gang activity that has increased your prison population during COVID? We had two, unfortunately, but those were triggered by the rise in homicides. Um, there was a there was a serious homicide situation in the in the city, particularly amongst the gangs. So, in March, I think around March twentieth. I received 142 gang members as part of a state of emergency that was declared for them. And they came to prison and those were released in April the following month. Then in July, we they declared another one because apparently the killing remained unabated and um, they sent them here. So today I have 75 of them in the prison when you have these large increases of gang members that on the streets, it's because of the violence and because of the murder that gang members are responsible for, then all of a sudden you have over 100 of these hardened criminals, these gang members brought to your prison. What happens when these gang members that are violent on the streets come to your prison? How do things go once they come to your prison? Well, Jared, I'll let you know the truth. Certainly, one of the things you don't do with gang members is is give them any impression that you're trying to glorify them. You you cannot show them that you're scared of, of them either. I think a lot of times people make monsters out of these people, but really and truly when they come to the prison, they literally lap their tails. In the prison, I'll be honest with you, you know, I, I, I even took pictures of them recreating, playing basketball or some kind of sport together. Not a single, not even a little assault we have recorded over the last month and a half for this last set. And then the first set that had come, I will tell you, they left here rather peacefully. So, But the idea is, is really not to show them that you're scared of them and to show them that they are not monsters because I think they, they, it really gets to their head when people think, um, see them as monsters. They're human beings. Right. And I think it really speaks to the, the professionalism of you and your staff and the management practices because you have gang members that are being brought to prison under a state of emergency because of the violence that is occurring among them outside in the street. But yet when they come to your prison, because of the excellent prison management strategies that you've implemented, they're getting along and playing basketball together. And that that really, I want to emphasize that because that really speaks to your leadership and to uh, the leadership of your staff to be able to have that. And from the last couple of years, um, just so our audience is aware, I've been working with uh, the prison and uh, with you and I'm trying to to gain a deeper understanding of how your prison compared to the other prisons throughout Latin America and really throughout the world. I've, I've argued for years now that your prison should be the prison operating model throughout the world because you have one of the lowest recidivism rates in the entire world. And you're able to bring in, in this example, violent gang members from the streets where they can't get along out in public, but yet when they're brought into the prison, they're in the same building playing basketball and you haven't even had something as simple as an assault. That really does speak to the great things that are going on at the Blaze Prison. Thank you very much for that compliment, but let me just stick a pin here too. If I tell you that these guys are literally eating out of the same pot, you wouldn't believe it. I mean, it's no joke. And like I tell you, the, the whole issue of respecting people 
goes a very long way because this is one of the things that this prison does. We respect these people. We respect them and we earn their respect by first respecting them. The media came here the other day and, and I took them inside where they were all cohabiting and they were blown away to see that, my God, why is it that they cannot get along out in the society? But look at them here. They're one brother. They're one family. That's incredible. It uh, really goes to speak to the the great things that, that you were doing at the police central prison. And, and it's definitely been a goal of mine over the last couple of years to make sure that everyone is, is aware of, of what's going on at, at the police central prison because it's rare. You and I have talked about it in the past, some of the issues that are going on in, in some of the neighboring prisons in Guatemala, El Salvador, the Northern Triangle, you know, some of the things that have occurred just recently in terms of problems with not only COVID in prisons, but also mass escapes, as well as considerable problems that don't exist in the police central prison. You mentioned the in Guatemala and the Northern Triangle too. That brings to mind that we also have members of the MS-13 and we do have members of 18th Street in our prison and they themselves are re- residing in one building because they are normally here for immigration offenses. So inevitably, we don't want to put illegal immigrants in other buildings, in other convicted blocks of the prison. Uh, because the whole issue of illegal immigrant is, even though it's an offense in Belize's um, laws, it does not necessarily sit too well with other countries. Um, They always suggest that you put immigrants in a separate detention center. Unfortunately, Belize doesn't have that center, so they have to send them to my prison. And surprisingly, these guys, they have a couple of arguments However, they don't get violent with each other and hurt each other. They are very much cohabiting peacefully together until their illegal entry sentence is over. Right. Interesting. That's Again, it really speaks to the excellent things that, that are going on at, at the uh, Belize Central Prison. So we talked uh, about how COVID-19 is impacting the prison and some of the steps that, that you're taking. Things that, that I noticed in my last visit to the prison was the, and you actually spoke on it, the mutual respect between staff members and inmates. You know, there is a clear mutual respect and it, it goes both ways. And it really, you know, is one of the contributing factors toward the peace that exists within the prison. So I wanted to ask, how has COVID-19 impacted the interaction between staff and inmates? All right. Um, I will tell you the truth. We certainly took a stance that we should make it a point to keep inmates informed of any changes to operations way in advance so that they themselves can analyze and digest what we're doing. In other words, we don't believe in knee-jerk reactions. So one of the other ways that we educate prisoners is through Jeremiah 33.3, which is the prison's radio station. So they, they get to hear the news up to the minute. Remember, I took you to the radio station when you were here. And they get to hear the news up to the minute. So they are very abreast with what is happening in the society on a daily, daily basis. So I guess the prisoners having knowledge of what this virus is all about and how deadly it is and all of that makes them, they're they're very satisfied that the prison is not leaving them in the dark, so to speak. I sense that there is a great team spirit between the staff and the inmates to keep the virus out of the prison. As a matter of fact, it is prisoners that we are using to do the COVID-19 screening, that temperature check and that questionnaire, those kinds of things. They are the ones that are doing it because the prison is very lacking in human resources, um, not only financial, but human resources. So 
we don't have the staff to do that. So we taught the prisoners, you know, the, the what to look for, the questions to ask and how to screen and do temperature check and all of that. I think they are very pleased that the prison is serious about protecting them from the virus. As of this point, they feel very safe. You hear it from them. They tell you, they let you know in certain terms, you know, we feel good that we are safe. Their biggest worry is always their families on the outside. They're wondering if they will ever be infected, if they will ever get bad news that they caught the virus. And again, it really does, you know, really does speak to the, the professionalism of your staff. Well, let's take a break. We've been speaking with Mr. Virgilio Murillo, the CEO of Colby Foundation, which manages the Belize Central Prison. We'll be uh, right back. Working in Homeland Security requires versatile experts to handle domestic and international security issues. A Homeland Security degree at American Military University offers you the chance to improve your expertise and develop practical knowledge for combating terrorism and security threats to our nation. Learn from experienced leaders in Homeland Security. Apply today at amuonline.com. Okay, everybody, welcome back. Again, we're speaking with Mr. Murillo from the Belize Central Prison. We're talking about how the Belize Central Prison has overcome some of the obstacles that have occurred recently with COVID-19, as well as the state of emergency that's occurred in Belize that has increased the gang population. And despite that increase, the Belize Central Prison has not seen an increase in um, turmoil, violence, or uprisings. And I, I want to point out why that's so significant. So since the COVID-19 outbreaks, there's been a, a substantial inmate uprisings throughout prisons in Latin America. There was a survey conducted of 18 countries, and 11 had recorded prisoner riots in the recent months of COVID-19. Mr. Murillo, have you had any riots since COVID-19? Absolutely none. And that's really substantial because six of the countries and the 18 that were surveyed in Latin America have had prisoners die amid the riots. So take, for example, Colombia, one of their prisons, because of COVID-19 concerns, had a substantial riot that resulted in fire, substantial damage to the prison, and uprisings that ultimately spilled over into other prisons throughout Colombia. So I just want to point out that, you know, in a country of roughly 390,000 people, and despite these challenges, this prison has been able to overcome obstacles that neighbors throughout Latin America have struggled with. And I really want to, um, again, you know, make sure that we identify the success going on at uh, the Belize Central Prison. So with that said, what do you attribute to you and your staff's success in leading Latin America and North America and keeping COVID-19 out of the Belize Central Prison? Well, like I said earlier, even though these guys come to prison, there's a need for them to be informed every step of the way. We don't have a difficulty. Like I said, when we did our contingency planning, we made it our business to send out notices and policy changes and all of those things in a timely fashion. For example... We did not just stop visits. We gave them at least three days notice that as of a certain point, visits will stop or will be suspended. And we explained to them the reason why. Because these guys need to know. They need to know. And if you inform them, they are able to analyze if what you're doing is right. They are able to digest it so that it doesn't catch them off guard and then they react. So that is one of the things. Um, like I tell you, we respect them in that regard and we make sure that we inform them way in advance as to what changes in policies, what changes in operations. One of the things we also did too, you know, is even our recreation. We used to give them three hours recreation prior to COVID. 
today we're down to an hour recreation. And even with that one hour recreation, they respect it and they understand why it is being done. So they're not giving us any trouble at all as it relates to that. And it's because they understand why. Excellent. And it, it really is consistent you know, with your, your success in, in managing the COVID-19 pandemic is really consistent with the long-term success that, that you've had at the Belize Central Prison. And, and certainly from my experience at the prison and, and speaking to both staff and inmates, just so our audience knows, I had the opportunity to come in uh, January of, of this year before the COVID-19 pandemic occurred. And I had the opportunity to work with Mr. Murillo and to, to work with his staff to conduct some training and also to speak with inmates. And in the research that I've done in prisons throughout Latin America and in North America, I've never seen a level of, of calmness that exists within the prison. And though I haven't been there since the COVID-19 pandemic has occurred, I'm confident that calmness and peace within the prison still exists. And from my experience, you know, what I, I found at the prison is the secret to why Belize Central Prison is so effective compared to the other prisons that I've researched is the faith-based initiatives that exist within the prison. And with that, could you speak briefly on the rehabilitation programs within the prison, their successes in preparing for inmates to go out into the society following their sentence, and how those rehabilitation programs, many of which are are faith-based, contribute to the recidivism rate that you have of 10 to 14%, which aside from Norway is one of the lowest that I found in the world. Well, certainly, we emphasize a lot of rehabilitation program. Um, over 50% of our population are engaged in some kind of rehab program or working program. And even the working program, we see it as a form of rehabilitation because what those program does, um, working program does, it teaches them work ethics. For argument's sake, um, a prisoner, if he wants a job in and around the prison, wherever, he has to fill out an application form and he has to be honest with all the information that is on that form because it's typical to an employee or a person who wants to be employed by the prison where you have to state your bio data and all your criminal background and whether you were arrested and, all, and those kinds of things. So they, we, we have a standard form that they fill out. Um, we have several programs going on. Um, our main program is, the, is what we call the ARC program. The ARC stands for the Ashcraft Rehabilitation Center. And that program addresses a person's addiction, a person's criminal and addictive behavior. It is based on the 12 step. And there is where the person gets to look after his drug issue or alcohol issue, whatever the case may be. Because remember, there are prisoners uh, in prison who either commit crime for drugs or they use drugs to commit crime and in some cases there are others who do both and this is the kind of things that we're trying to address this is the kind of programming that we're trying to offer so that they can get rid of that addiction we also have the IFFB program which is the inner change for freedom beliefs that is spiritual based mainly then we do have the RRC program which is the Reman Rehab Center which deals with issues such as gangs, gang affiliation, anger management, and those things. That is That caters more to the remanded prisoners, whilst the ARC caters to the convicted prisoners. Those are the ones with, with a sentence, a definitive sentence. But at the end of the day, we're very keen on pushing programs. There's other little programs like Journey to Freedom, New Freedom Program, again, that addresses issues with gangs 
and gang affiliation and, and the doings of gangs and all of that. So then we have the vocational programs such as our pigry, our poultry, our woodwork program. And I think I had sent you a little article on, on the tire arts and the, what else did we do? We did the face mask program too as a form of revenue generation for the prison. But we are highly engaged because we are trying to teach these guys coping skills. We are trying to teach them life skills so that when they go out into the society, they are not only willing and ready to lead a law-abiding life, but also a sustainable one. Because they should be able to be employed or they should be able to work for themselves and earn their own revenue and survive provide for their family and themselves and remain out of prison. Absolutely. Nelson Mandela stated that it is said that no one truly knows a nation until one has been inside its jails. A nation should not be judged by how it treats its highest citizens, but its lowest ones. Would you agree with Mr. Mandela? I could not agree with him any less or any more. Yep, I agree as well. And it, and it really, it emphasizes that statement by Nelson Mandela really emphasizes the characteristics of police central prison, because you provide inmates the opportunity to turn their lives around. You provide inmates the opportunities and the resources that if they want to address those drug and alcohol issues that led them to prison, that led them to the robberies that may have led them to prison, you have those resources available. And then you also work with the community in uh, providing a gift shop that citizens can support inmates in the prison by purchasing from the gift shop. In addition, I know that you... Um, you know, that you've placed an emphasis on encouraging citizens to hire uh, inmates that, that are released and are rehabilitated through and hire them through the skills that they've learned in the prison, which from what I've seen is, is carpentry, is masonry, was electrical work, is um, several different uh, trade skills. And I think that that, in addition to the faith-based initiatives that exist within the prison, you had mentioned the radio station. One thing that I want to emphasize with the radio station is that from the time that I've spent in the prison, there are testimonials provided by inmates who have turned their lives around, and you provide those testimonials on the prison radio for other inmates to hear and to have a framework for how they can change their lives. Would that be correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I wanted to mention, too, that even the prison hires ex-prisoners. I have a number of ex-prisoners as, as guards working in the prison currently, approximately 50 of them. Because I'll tell you what, these guys have been there. They have done that. And, you know, one of the biggest struggles in any prison is the contraband, particularly drugs. And this prison is very, very strict when it comes to drugs because drugs undermines prison security. Drug undermines the, the, the whole issue of rehabilitation of the offender. It increases violence in a prison. So we are very strict with that. Right now, I'm telling you that we have reduced drugs to... Hmm, at least we have reduced it by 90%, no doubt. In an entire year, you're hardly coming up with a pong of marijuana these days, you know. Um, but we have some rigid search processes. We have a very keen intelligence unit that picks up the intelligence even before the prisoner brings it into the prison. So we sometimes they bring it, bring it in their cavities. We have to let them wait in the holding cell. If we don't do a cavity search, we let them wait in the holding cell until they defecate and they bring it out. We have a good intelligence unit that provides all of this information, all of this information beforehand. But we're very keen on that. And um, certainly, I, I, you know, we have hired ex-prisoners. We don't have a problem 
with them because we see where they have changed and they have not let us down. As a matter of fact, there's one particular guy that I am sure has been with the prison over 14 years and counting. Interesting. That says quite a bit in terms of rehabilitation. If a prison can rehabilitate someone and then hire them to come back and work over a decade for the prison that, that they were once confined to, that that speaks volumes to uh, the success of the Belize Central Prison. So my last question, what are some, some resources that, uh, that you need to help you uh, continue to be successful in protecting the prison from COVID-19? COVID-19 supplies, for the purpose of COVID, I'm thinking that COVID-19 supplies would be much welcome. We had gotten a donation from CARICOM Impact some time ago. That is back in June. Can you explain to our audience who, who that is? Okay, that's the Caribbean Community Implementation Agency for Crime and Security. That's uh, an organization that is based in Trinidad, and they are pretty much the coordinating agency to come up with strategies to fight crime and keep the Caribbean community, which Belize is a part of. I wouldn't say crime-free, but reduce crime and the impacts of crime on the societies or, or the countries. Through the British government, they had donated to us back in June, but those supplies are pretty much depleted or almost depleted, if not completely. But things such as disposable face masks, because what we're doing right now is the courts has asked us to give inmates face masks when they go for their trials, uh, when they go for their hearings and those kinds of things. And so the prison has had to provide prisoners with face masks when they leave the prison, but those things are expendable. We, do, we, we cannot reuse them. So And quite a lot of people are going. Then we do need gloves, latex hand gloves, disposable gloves, because we search people. But you know you, you cannot be searching different people with the same gloves. So every time you, you search a person, right now what we're doing to, to sanitize it is spraying it off with, um, with sanitizer, uh, alcohol-based. So And certainly hand sanitizers, uh, we cannot get too much of this any at all. It's, it's needed. Disinfecting chemicals like Clorox and PPEs for staff, including face shields. Those are some of the things that we can definitely do with. Okay. So if somebody is listening to our podcast today and would like to reach out to you to, to get more information about perhaps learning more about the prison, learning more about the initiatives that have been so successful in the prison, perhaps you know somebody that may be in a position to be able to support the prison, how can they reach you? Well, my email address is vir underscore mur at yahoo.com and my contact number is 501 that's the country's code 610-0878 Colby Foundation is the name of the organization that is managing the prison for the government of Belize excellent Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being our guest today. Are there any uh, remaining thoughts that you'd like to share? Well, all I can say is that I, I thank you for giving us the opportunity to share our strategies and best practices to prevent COVID-19 from entering the prison. We are focused on preventing the importation of the virus altogether as opposed to mitigating the spread. One of the things I emphasize to my staff my leadership staff in particular, and I hope it is being trickled down to the junior staff or the frontliners. I tell them as leaders, we must be flexible with processes, but we should be very ruthless with the principles 
because that makes the big difference in terms of, especially in terms of keeping COVID-19 and contraband out of our prison. We can't play games with principles. If we play games with principles, then recidivism is going to go up. There will be no consequence for committing crime. And we don't need that. We don't want the society to lose confidence in the prison system any at all. We want to send properly reformed people back into the society so that they can be with their families. Absolutely. Those are great points. And I'd also like to thank uh, In Public uh, Safety Matters and American Military University for the opportunity for us to have this podcast. And uh, Mr. Murillo, I truly thank you for taking this time and sharing uh, with us uh, your expertise. Thank you very much, Jared. And I look forward to seeing you. Can't wait for this COVID thing to go away. Likewise, likewise. I really look forward to our next visit. Well, thank you very much. For more information about our university, visit us at amuonline.com. Thank you for listening. AMU, American Military University.